ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're just joining us, we've been walking through the book of Ruth. Last week, we started talking about how Ruth was gospel. It was good news in a lot of, in a lot of ways. But as we move into chapter 1, I told you, I don't want you jumping ahead to the end and, and missing what's going on. Because as, as we get to the end of chapter 1 of Ruth, Naomi is a mess. Um, look at Ruth chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. See, Naomi's lost everything. She's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. She has nothing. Because like we talked about last week, a woman in that culture could not own property. She could not uh, have land or, or a home. She could not go to work and, and have a career. Um, she was not allowed to do those things. And especially not just a woman, but now a woman, a foreign woman living in a land that is not her own. Naomi is, is destitute. She is at the bottom. She's lost everything. And we can go all the way back to the famine that drove her family here. Naomi has been through it. Uh, and, and many of the old rabbis that taught this back in the day that, that, were, that were teaching in, in teaching the Old Testament, many of the old rabbis compared Naomi to Job. Because that's the level of loss that Naomi has experienced. They both lose everything. They both have, have nothing. And, and, but really, that's where the similarity ends. Because I, I would suggest that Naomi has it worse than Job. Because Job, as a man, can rebuild. Job can accumulate more wealth. He can, he can have a, a career. He can rebuild some of the... I mean, obviously, he's lost family, and there's no going back from that. But... but Naomi can't come back like that. She can't do that because in her world where she is right now, poverty is inevitable. She, she cannot rebuild in the same way that Job could. In, in a culture that expected her to, to establish her place in society in, in relationship to a man through marriage or motherhood, Naomi has lost everything. The Hebrew word, for widow, is, is, uh, it's cemented a woman's rank in society. It, it comes from the root word alem, which is, means unable to speak. And, and the widows were called the, the silent ones because they had no one to speak for them. Remember, in that culture, a woman could not, she couldn't even bring a court case. She couldn't sue somebody. She couldn't testify in court. She was the silent one because she did not have a voice. So without a father or a husband or sons or some man in her life, she had no legal rights whatsoever. That's why, that's why later we're going to see Jesus denounce the religious leaders for devouring widows' houses. Because they would swoop in and they would, and they would take advantage of these widows who had no voice, who had no one to speak up for them. So we find Naomi without a husband, without sons, without a father, without any man. She is, by her own account, too old to marry. She's too old to have children. And at this point in her life, she's going home 
to die. That's where she's at. If you read the chapter and you read what she's saying, Naomi is finished. She's going home to die. She's going to say, I'm empty. There's nothing else here. And here's where this applies to all of us. Because Naomi experiences something that that is a deep-seated beneath the surface fear for all of us, both men and women. And, 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 it, and it's this, what happens if I lose my props? What happens if I lose all the things that I build my identity on? Who am I when there's nothing else left except me? When, when I cannot find my identity in my husband when I cannot find my identity in my family, in my children, when I cannot find my identity in my career, when I cannot find my identity in my, in my political affiliation, in my religious affiliation, wherever it is that we place our worth, when all that's stripped away and there's only me, am I worth anything? Am I valuable? And would anybody want it? That's where Naomi is. Naomi's endured over 10 years of loss upon loss upon loss, of tragedy, returning tragedy. She's going to endure the rigors of a hard journey. And, and even when she arrives at her home, she's done. She's destitute. She tells these people who can't even recognize her, my name's not Naomi anymore. Naomi means pleasant. Naomi, when she gets home, is going to say, don't call me pleasant because there's nothing pleasant about what God's done to me. You call me bitter, because that's my name from now on. And so, as Naomi is leaving Moab, there's these three women, Naomi and her, her daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah. And they're making their way, and when they come to the border of Moab, where it's time to part ways, has one last act of kindness that she wants to do to these girls. She's going to absolve her daughters-in-law of their commitment. She's going to allow them to go home, to go back to their father's houses. She's releasing them from their responsibilities. They don't have to go back to Israel because if they go back to Israel with her, they're going back to die as well. Yes, they're younger, and they could still have children, or, and they could still uh, find marriages, but not in Israel, because no good Jew is going to marry a Moabite. And so if they go back with her, they're going back to die as well. And Naomi says, no, you guys need to stay here. When we get back to Israel, there's no man to arrange a marriage for you. So even if you could find someone who would marry you, there's no way for you to do it because you don't have a voice. Stay here. You're both Moabites. Moabites were not even allowed in the temple, in worship. No Jew's going to marry a Moabite. And maybe you could find a foreigner living there who might marry you, but there's no one to create that marriage. You're going with me to die. You need to stay here. And both daughters say, no, we're going to go with you. We're committed to you. We made a commitment. But Naomi's relentless. She says, look, I don't have any other sons for you to marry. I'm too old to get married, and even if I did get married, what are you going to wait around until they grow up and then marry them? 
The smart thing, the sensible thing, the responsible, intelligent choice is for you to go home. Go home to your father's house so that he can arrange a new marriage for you and you can have some semblance of life. Because if you come with me, you're just coming to die. There's even a bit of theological underpinning here in verse 13. Know, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. God is striking me down. God has smitten me. God has put this on me. And I don't know why God's mad at me, but you don't need to get caught up in that. And so you go home to your gods. Maybe you'll have better luck with them than you're having with mine. You see that bitterness? Naomi's struggling right here. You can hear the, the, the bitterness, the anger, the cynicism, the, the, even the hopelessness and defeat that are in the words of Naomi. And, and sometimes we read that and we go, man, she, she's, she's very unspiritual, very unfaithful for a woman to talk this way about God. But it, this is not the first time or the last time that one of God's people has lodged a complaint. She's in pretty good company, whether it's Jeremiah or Job, whether it's uh, Moses or David. There's, there's all these people who express laments to God. I always tell people, God's a big boy. He can handle it. He can handle you being mad at him. It's not going to hurt his feelings. We often think that God's going to be offended if we question or, or, or if we get upset or, or if we, heaven forbid, blame him for the things that are going on in our lives. But when you're intimate with someone, you express those feelings. You express those hurts. And, and truthfully, even our choice to lament is still an act of faith. Not long ago, I was honored to facilitate a funeral for a young couple who had lost their baby. And the young father confessed to me, we don't really pray a lot right now because we're both having a real hard time talking to God. And as I prayed with him, I said, that's okay. That's what the church is for. We're here to have enough faith for you when you don't have enough faith for yourself. We're here to carry you. God's a big boy. And, and even anger is still an act of faith. I don't get mad at aliens or unicorns or fairies or dragons because I don't believe in those. I get mad at my God because he's somebody that I believe exists and has the power to influence my world. So see, even when I'm angry with him, it's still an act of faith. I was talking to somebody this morning, and I said, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. Even when I'm angry with God, it's still an act of faith. And Naomi here is mad at God, and she's lamenting. There's an entire book in the Bible that's full of lamentations. Go read through the Psalms. You'll find so many songs of lament because that's still an expression of where we are. Naomi complained to God because she had a strong conviction that God was sovereign. That's a big churchy word that means God was in control, that God could influence her life, that God could change things in her life, and for some reason he was not. And so she's really upset with him in this place. And she says, the hand of God 
has gone out against you. Go back to your gods. Go back to your people. Because my God's got nothing for you. And Orpah listens. Orpah gets a bad rep. You'll hear a lot of preachers down on Orpah. Orpah makes the smart choice. Orpah makes the responsible choice. Orpah makes the intelligent choice. Everything, every bit of evidence Naomi presented is true. And by all rights, they should go back home. There's no reason for them to go with her. And as she absolves them of their commitment, Orpah says, I'm going home. But not Ruth. The Bible says Ruth clings to her. And I read that and, and, and I went, why? Why is Ruth clinging to Naomi? Now, I know I've heard all the, oh, the bond between these two women was so great. And, and the, problem, the problem with that is the text doesn't support that. Shows this great love relationship between Naomi and Ruth. After this, the Bible doesn't record any conversation with them all the way back to Bethlehem. And when they get there, Ruth says, I'm going to go do this or that. And Naomi says, whatever, I don't care. There's no evidence of this deep loving relationship that's, that comes from our own romanticized imagination. So why is Ruth clinging to her? Why is Ruth committing to give up her life and to go with her? Because there's no evidence of the, uh, of the relationship. What's more, there's not even a lot of evidence that her marriage was something worth saving. Here's what I mean by that. If you go back to the last chapter of Judges, you get uh, some really weird stories. And, and I told you one a few weeks ago, or last week, about the, 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 the Levite's concubine, and you remember that. We're not going to go into detail about that. If some of you went home and read that, I'm sorry. Um, but after that, the Benjaminites, the people who committed that atrocity, the other Israelites said, we're not, we're not going to give our wives to them to be married. And so in the last chapter of Judges, there's this really freaky story where I'm not going to go into it right now because we don't have time, but the Benjamites basically hide in the bush and, and when, the, when the, the girls come out to dance, they jump out and they kidnap them and they take them home to be their wife. In the next few months, when you hear a politician talking about biblical marriage, that's not what he means. Um, but, but that's what they do. It's, it's a weird thing. And, and, but but here's, here's the reason we're talking about this. The Hebrew word used for the Benjamites taking, Benjaminites taking these girls to be their wives is the exact same word used in Ruth for Malon and Kilion taking Moabite wives. Right? Now, that may just be the Bible nerd in me that finds that fascinating. But I read that and I go, so, so why is Ruth committed to this relationship? She's lived with this man for 10 years with no children. That doesn't scream romance to me. Why is she holding on so tightly to Naomi? Naomi's urging her to go home. She says, you're not bound to me anymore. You are released from any obligation you previously had. She even makes it a religious question. She says, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her own, her own land and her own gods. You should too. Maybe the gods of Moab will be kinder to you than Yahweh. Naomi doesn't want her. She wants her to go home. She knows there's nothing more for Ruth with her except more heartache, more loss, and more pain. 
And so here's the question. Why does Ruth go with her? Why leave her country? Why leave her family? Why, why leave her culture? Why leave everything and go with this bitter old woman back to a land that she plainly tells her is not going to want her when they get there? Orpah makes a lot more sense than Ruth. But Ruth clings to her. And Ruth lays out one of the most beautiful speeches in the entire Bible. Ruth chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Now, you've heard that a lot in weddings, but this was not about a marriage. This was about Ruth doubling down on her commitment. Instead of dissolving the bond, Ruth actually makes it even more strenuous. The bond of marriage would have been dissolved by the death of the spouse. If Ruth had said, I'll stay with you as long as you live, that would have still been remarkable. But she doesn't say that. She says, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to die with you. I'm going to be buried with you, which is a huge deal. Because being buried in a foreign land would totally, totally relinquish any tie she had to her home. So being buried with you is, is a bigger deal. And, and she, she says, I'll be buried with you. And, and you look at that and you go, why? And, and I think the answer is found in her speech. She says, your God, my God. She's going to say, may the Lord, and we miss this because all the Lords in our Bible are different words, but she says, may Yahweh deal with me. Now, that's a big deal because a foreigner would not use the word Yahweh. They would use Elohim. And, and so for her to say Yahweh shows a familiarity, a personal relationship. Are you with me? And, and so may Yahweh deal with me. See, Ruth had found something valuable in her relationship, and it wasn't her relationship with her husband. It wasn't her relationship with her mother-in-law. It was her relationship with their God. See, Ruth had found a relationship with the true God of the universe, and she was holding on to that with all of her might. Because sometimes following God doesn't make sense. Sometimes following God is not the responsible, intelligent, simple choice. But it's always the right this is not the last time we're going to see Ruth breaking the rules. Because Ruth is a valiant woman. She's a fierce woman. And she's going to do what she thinks is right. She's declaring a devotion to Naomi. But it's not, that devotion is not found in marital commitments or vows. It, it is found in her relationship with her God. She's renouncing her land. Where you go, I'll go. She's renouncing her people. Your people will be my people. She's renouncing her religion, your God, my God, because what she's found is beyond any rational, responsible, or reasonable choice. The smart choice here is to leave the bitter old woman and to stay in her land, to go back to her father's house, to let him create for her a new marriage so that she can have children and have a life. There's nothing down the road Naomi is traveling except pain, bitterness, and death. Ruth sees something that Naomi can't see in this moment. That the only true hope for life is found in the living God. The only true hope for life 
is found in the living God. Now, there are some Naomi's here this morning, whether physically in this room or, or, or watching online, and, and you are in this place where you've been beaten down and, and you've been battered and you feel discarded and rejected by the world and you are so low, you're at the bottom. And you feel like, Naomi, that the hand of the Lord is against you. A lot of you this morning are not even coming to church because if you're honest, you're a little bit mad at Him. And it's hard to let go of that. That's okay. Because just like Naomi, God hasn't given up on you. See, Naomi's not going to see this. She's not going to see this for hundreds of years. But God is bringing her back to the place that she left because he's going to, through her daughter-in-law, bring not just kings, but a Messiah into the world. God is thinking hundreds of years down the road things that Naomi cannot even dream of, even when Naomi's mad at him. Even when Naomi is blaming him, even when Naomi is bitter and, and angry with God, God has not given up on her. He's not quit. He's not cast her aside or thrown her away. He is still working in her life even when she doesn't want him to. And the same thing goes for you. This morning, there are a lot of people, and, and you're saying, Jeff, I don't have the faith. I, 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 don't, I don't have the, the ability to pray. I'm mad at God. You know what? That's okay. Because, number one, that's why the church is here. When you hear me talk about prayer being the work of the church, we are here to be your faith when you can't hold your faith in your own, in, in your own hands. When you can't go to God, we're here to go to God with you. We're here to lift you up. That's what church is about. It's about holding one another up when I don't feel like I can stand on my own. And this morning, as you're feeling beat down, as you're feeling angry and hopeless and bitter, it's okay because God is still at work in your life. Whether you see it or not, whether you understand it or not, whatever hopelessness you're facing, God is still working for you, just like he's working for Ruth and Naomi in Ruth chapter 1. But the key is, you got to make the choice. See, you're stopped on the border, just like Naomi, just like Ruth, just like Orpah. And there's a choice you have to make right now. The choice is, do I go back to my old ways? Do I go back to the things that I used to worship? Do I go back the way that I've come? Or do I step out and trust God even when it doesn't make any sense? Even when it looks like a crazy, irresponsible choice? Do I trust God? Do I cling to Him? Sometimes it's going to mean leaving behind all those things that define us. Whether it be our past, our tradition, our family, our culture, even our, even our religion. I used to go to mission trips in South America. We went to Guyana. And Guyana has a, a really big Hindu population. And if you've ever done any mission work with Hindus, Hindus are what's called pantheistic. That means they just worship everything. And, and so you would sit down and talk to someone about Jesus, and they'd go, yeah, that sounds great. I'll, I'll, I'll be baptized. I'll be a Christian. That's great. And they'd take Jesus, and they'd put him up on the shelf with all their other gods. 
And so you had to be real careful that you were clear to them as you were teaching them that we're not talking about Jesus and. We're, we're talking about Jesus only. And we had one gentleman who finally believed that. And as he was baptized there, we baptized in a stock tank. It was a big round thing, and, 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 and basically you kind of pushed them down, and then they stood up. That was baptism. And, and I'll never forget it. It is ingrained in my soul as long as I live. This gentleman came up. He was about 60 years old. And he came up with his arms outstretched, and he was yelling at the top of his lungs, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I give you everything. Water's dripping off of him, and, and one of our taxi drivers came and stood beside me. And I'm looking at that, and he goes, do you understand what's happening? And I said, well, he's surrendering to God. He says, no, he's giving up everything because his family's not going to have anything to do with him after this. His business is not going to be frequented by other Hindus anymore because he has renounced his faith. He's going to lose his family. He's going to lose his livelihood. He's giving up everything in his life to follow Jesus. And then I started crying. Because that kind of faith is amazing. That's the faith that Ruth's demonstrating right here. She's leaving everything that makes any sense in her life behind because of the innumerable, unimaginable worth of following the true God of the universe. That's what Jesus is calling us to. The, the, the same call that he's going to give those fishermen hundreds of years ago, hundreds of years after Ruth, come follow me. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when it looks crazy to the world around you, come follow me. And us, as people say, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. I'll follow you no matter what. That's the call this morning. Are you going to step out? Are you going to follow him? See, we issue this call every week because it's important. We give you an opportunity, whether you have the faith or not, to step forward and let this congregation lift you up in prayer because we believe that that's one of the things that we're about, to be a people of prayer. And so as we, as we sing a song, we're asking you to come down so that we can pray with you. Or maybe you're in a place right now like Naomi where, where, where you've lost everything and you feel, like, you feel like I'm at the bottom of the barrel. I'm going to tell you right now, God puts you here for a reason. God puts you hearing this message for a reason. Because even when everything's gone, he's still working for you. And maybe you're at the point where it's time to submit. Where it's time to give up trying to do this yourself. And then you confess not only your sins, that you're not doing a good job of it, but, but, but you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that you want to make him Lord of your life. And then you turn from those old gods and those old ways of living. That's a big churchy word that is called repentance. But, but all that means is you're turning away from that and walking a new path. So, so when you believe and you confess and you repent, then you're baptized. Again, that's a churchy word that, that just means you're submitting to God. 
you're going to be buried with him, and you're going to be raised to walk in a new life. And the Bible says when you do that, the Spirit of God, the same Spirit, Paul's going to say, that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is going to come to take residence inside of you and give life to your mortal body. We offer that this morning, not because we have any holiness, not because there's any magic in this water, but because we serve the living God. If we can help you this morning through prayer, through baptism, if we can help you cling to Him, cling to Him this morning, come right now.